Welcome to the Faith Women Podcast. We're a community of women at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North Carolina, that desires to honor the Word of God, to support our church, and to encourage each other as we know, grow, serve, and go. Through these episodes, we'll be introducing you to our ministry team, sharing truth from God's Word, and challenging you to grow in your love for the Lord and those He's called you to serve. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Hi, ladies. It's good to see everybody this evening. Um, we're excited you came on a rainy evening where it would have been really easy to stay in your jammies. Um, all right, so we're going to get started this evening. We have a special guest speaking with us, and most of you probably know her. She's a very familiar face. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll introduce Shannon to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather for all these women who've given up their time to be here. Thank you for Shannon and her preparation. Um, Lord, we pray that you would go before her, um, give her wisdom and clarity of thought. Um, Lord, we thank you so much um, that we can run to your word as our counselor. Um, Lord, that you are our great high priest uh, who intercedes on our behalf and that all of life's relationships and interactions um, can be brought to your feet humbly, Lord, um, and that you freely offer your wisdom and your grace um, to us, that we can offer it to those um, that we're in relationships with. Lord, we thank you um, again that we can be here, that we can be here as a gathered body, and we ask that you bless this evening in your name. Amen. All right, I'm going to introduce Shannon to you. Um, fun fact, Shannon was my physical science teacher in ninth grade. I, I hope I paid attention. <laughs> All right, Shannon's been married to Aaron, her husband, for 22 years. And they have five children, ranging in age from 4 to 14. She has a master's in biblical counseling from Southeastern. And she is currently pursuing her licensure in, let's see, this is a list here, isn't it? Christian marriage, family, and individual therapy. She's a counselor and care coordinator here at Faith. And when she asked her children, uh, what's the one thing that's interesting or different about your mother? Her children answered, as only children who humble you can, and said, you talk to yourself way too much like 24-7. <laughs> so please welcome Shannon. Hey, ladies. As we're going to go through the study, I want you to keep in mind that there's going to be a lot of gray areas as we talk about... Um, Excuse me, I get, it takes me a minute to get used to my voice over the microphone. There's a lot of gray area as we talk about what it means to sit with a friend during crisis, what it means to speak to a friend after a crisis in mentorship. So there's no hard and fast rule. There's no formula that I can give you. There's a lot of Holy Spirit involved as you try to minister to your friends in a crisis. You guys have index cards in front of you, so 
If I say something that's not clear, there's some clarification you need, please feel free to write a question on the card that we can answer during the panel. So how to carry another bur another's burdens as a friend on a counselor. <clears throat> there's this great quote, and actually, I, I love this quote, and I actually saved it in my Facebook memory feed. And it actually came up this last week, or last the week before. But it, this is what it says. Personal ministry is not about always knowing what to say. It's not about fixing everything in sight that is broken. Personal ministry is about connecting people with Christ so that they are able to think, desire what he says is best, and do what he calls them to do, even if their circumstances never get fixed. It involves exposing hurt, lost and confused people to God's glory so that they give up their pursuit of their own glory and live for his. I think it says on your sheet what book that's from, because right now I can't remember what it is. What I love about this quote is it's impossible for you to fix your friend's problems. But we as a community of friends can help us to help them fix their eyes on the one who loves them more than we as friends do. So, how, so what do we do when a crisis hits? Depending on timing and circumstances, sorry, it may look different. So the first thing we're going, to, we're going to cover is sitting Shiva with somebody. And the word I said was Shiva, which is spelled S-H-I-V-A. When I was trying to explain this concept to my children who were struggling with uh, helping a friend through a crisis, they actually thought I was swearing. So I'm not. <laughs> it's Shiva. So sitting Shiva is something I learned a long time ago from some good friends of mine. Shiva means to mourn and experience grief. It means to physically adjust to the mourner's emotional state, which meant quite often that you would even be sitting on the ground with your friend. It's a very ancient tradition, and in this tradition, you would sit shiva with um, your, your friends who are grieving for about seven days, and, and this would look different depending on the situation. They often would follow them to the graveyard or the synagogue at home. They would just sit with them, sometimes just quietly, if they wanted to talk about the lost loved one, they would spend time talking about the lost loved one. So it's a time that you honor a mourner's grief process without trying to fix or correct the situation. I know that's hard because we want to go in and fix something right away or say things to perhaps fix it. But what's great about sitting Shiva is it gives space for the person to mourn without restraint. It allows for tears, sadness, shock, and even anger. So this is played out a couple times in the Bible, and specifically, you all are familiar with Job. His friends started off well. In, ch in chapter 2, verses 11, 13, it says, Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept out loud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. So they entered into grief with him. They got onto Job's emotional level. So that's what's something that you're, you're to do is just to enter into their grief. The one thing that you shouldn't do when you're seeing Shiva is what his friends later did. So if you all, we're going to fast forward to chapter 16. And at this point, his friends had had enough. 
and they opened their mouths, and they said very painful things to Job. And, and Job responded by saying, <clears throat> in, in chapter 16, verse 1, he said, I have heard many things like these. You are all miserable comforters, which kind of cracked me up. He was <laughs> very upfront. Is there no end to your empty words? What provokes you that you continue testifying? If you were in my place, I could also talk like you. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. Instead, I would encourage you with my mouth, and the consolation from my lips would bring relief. If I speak, my suffering is not relieved, and if I hold back, does any of it leave me? Job was in so much pain that he needed to talk about it, but his friends want him to just keep it to himself. And he didn't understand. He's like, how is that supposed to help? So a friend's crisis is not a time to give them cliche speeches like Job's friends, to show them our own perceived wisdom or even be frustrated by what you perceive as their inability to move on. So what does shiva look like in modern times? You're probably wondering, well, what am I supposed to do? Like go sit on the ground with someone? <laughs> Actually... I highly recommend it. <laughs> if your friend is sitting on the ground, sit down on the ground with them. And actually, this you, you're probably thinking that's never happened, but, but it has. There was a time about two years ago that a child of mine had a really rare and unusual autoimmune disorder. And it was such a debilitating disease that it affected his mind and body. Because of its severity and how it operates, it affects, it affects our whole family. And that's where we were at at the time. Just good news, because I, I can't stand hearing like really bad stories and not and then not and knowing how it ends. He's great today. In fact, he was student of the week a couple of weeks ago, so he's doing really well. <laughs> so he so but at that time we had just started treating him through a immunologist and he was getting better. But there was one day where we got called out of church and to his, his faith group class, and because he was having a hard time. And it was an indication that perhaps his illness was returning. And so my husband and I had calmed him down, and my husband had removed him, and all there was left was me in the classroom with our two Christian, or excuse me, two children's ministers. And I was so grieved, and I was so upset that the possibility of his sickness was returning that I slid down the wall, <laughs> sat on the ground, and just started pouring my eyes out. I was so just grief-stricken that this was a possibility might happen again. These two children's minister, without missing a beat, sat in the ground, crisscross applesauce, <laughs> and just sat there and just waited and, like, entered into the grief with me and allowed me to grieve. They didn't stand at the door hoping I would hurry up and, and exit. They didn't make any indication that my grief process needed to be sped up. They just sat with me until I was done. When I was done crying, they, they didn't give me theological words or anything like that. It, the only words they said to me is, Shan, what can we do for you to make this easier? We're here to support you with whatever you need. So it wasn't anything that they were trying to fix. They just wanted to know we're here for you for whatever you need. And that's still, it's still very much a seared memory in my brain of, of the care. So what are other ways does it look like in the Bible that Shiva can look like? Well, I'm going to give you an example, and this one involves Jesus. John 11, 33 through 39, this was after he found out Lazarus had died. 
When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? So Lazarus, his good friend, had died. He was a, and Jesus knew, he knew he was going to raise um, Lazarus from the grave, but Jesus still grieved. He understood and he modeled what sorrow needed to be felt like. Many of the times in this chapter, it mentions that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, which I found out comes from a Greek word means embryo meo. I'm not a Greek scholar, so excuse me. So what this means is meaning to feel something strongly and deeply within the soul. He was deeply grieved, he was saddened, and he was even angry at the evil of death. Jesus did not try to come and correct their grief or their sadness, but he entered into it with the people. Something to remember when ministering to people in crisis, mourning, grieving, crying, despair, and even anger at the evil of death is not a sign of lack of faith, but a reality of the fallen world we live in, the reality of death and suffering. So I want to give you two examples of what that might look like when you're ministering to a friend here modern times. And I like these two examples because oftentimes when you're in a season of life that's difficult to minister to others, like for example, just because I've lived this myself, when you have very young children and it's hard to just drop things and go minister to your family, it's going to look different. And that's okay because that's still going to minister to your friend. So for example, example, I have a friend named Stephanie and I asked her permission to share these stories with, with you guys. So at the time, we both had really young children. I think my four, my four oldest were probably under five. She had a similar number, number, similar ages, very young. And she was pregnant with their baby girl named Isabella. Well, she called me one day and she was really upset and she was very grieved because Isabella had died within her womb. And so her husband was gone that day. And the next day she was going to have to deliver Isabella. Well, I was a friend. I was on the phone. I have all these kids. What could I do? I wanted to go and fix it. That's impossible. <laughs> and I wanted to minister to her, but I still had my four, and taking four other kids to her house was probably not going to be a blessing to her. So I waited until my husband came home that night, and I went to her. And while she was putting her kids to bed, I cleaned up the raisins off her carpet that her kids had spilled earlier. I cleaned the dishes in her sink. I scrubbed her sink, and when she was done putting the kids to bed, I think we did, I can't remember, but I think we did whatever she wanted to do. If we wanted to scrub the tile with a toothbrush, that's what we did, because that's what she needed at that time. She needed someone to make order out of her house to prepare for what she had to do the next day. And I was there as someone that was in her presence to help ease her soul. So the next day, Stephanie had to deliver at the hospital. We had mutual friends that were empty nesters, so a different season of life. They were able to go and be with Stephanie and her husband when they delivered Isabella. This couple was able to hold Isabella and rock Isabella and sing to Isabella and love on Isabella. And by them holding her baby, they were able to acknowledge that this baby was loved and cherished. Now, I remember thinking at the time that this wasn't enough help. Like, how, you know, how could this... How could this help her in any kind of way, just by picking up her raisins? But when she tells the story back to me, she actually has a smile on her face because when she retells the story of me helping picking up raisins off her carpet or, or this other couple holding her baby and singing to it, it's with a memory that, that is full of grief, but it's also that because of those actions, a memory of how very much loved she was. 
So I think the hardest part when it comes to a crisis is that we just don't know what to do. But if you can remember this mantra, which a friend of mine has, just show up. You just show up. Because a crisis can be very overwhelming, and we're not sure how to respond. Make your presence known through phone call, if possible, whatever means necessary. Just show up, start helping clean their house, offer a meal, babysitting, mowing the lawn, whatever it looks like for your season of life because you don't know how that's going to bless the other person. Another way that you can uh, bless someone during a time of crisis is through prayer. And I know that sounds cliche, but prayer is like one of the most important things that you can do for someone, especially for someone who's in a crisis. Their thoughts are overcome by grief. They may struggle to put two words together because they're so consumed. We as a church community can come in and step in and do the heavy lifting for them. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 12. Now, in this chapter, the Amalekites were attacking the Israelites. And Moses, if he kept his arms up, the Israelites were winning. But if his arms dropped, the Amalekites were prevailing. But in verse 12, it says this. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported excuse me, his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So when people are in crisis, they don't need to think about further losing the battle because they can't put two words together. Moses was weary, he was tired, he had a desire to keep fighting, but his body was wearing out. So Aaron and her came in, sat him down on a rock, and held his hands for him so Moses could continue the fight, just like your friends need to continue the fight in their crisis. Now, what I thought was interesting when the second time I went over this is that it was two people that supported Moses' arms. Because if one person came up behind him and held his arms up, he would get just as weary as Moses. It took two people. And I thought that was interesting because the more people that surround this person with prayer, the better. The more, the, the more energy that can come from that, the more you can surround that person, the less fighting there's a story I read while I was preparing for this, and it's a true story. And it happened during like the worst part of the pandemic when there was the most lockdowns and the, the most inability to get to people. And a faith group, much like what we have here, a member, a couple, an older couple who were grandparents were in another town with their family, and they texted the faith group and said, hey, uh, please pray, our, our grandbaby just passed away. And so the faith group texts them back, and of course they're like wanting to go to them, but they can't because of the restrictions and everything. And the only thing they could do is say, we're praying, we're praying, you know, wish we could do more kind of thing. The next day, they communicated again saying that things had gotten really bad. There were some other situations that the article didn't go into where they were just very tired, they were weary, they were worn out, and just felt like they couldn't go on. And of course they text back again, and they were so saddened and grieved they couldn't be with them. But there was a mom there who had lost a child a few years back. And this is all she said. She says, you rest, we will pray. So what that does is allow those, those grandparents to release the thought that they needed to get it together. Instead, they had an army of prayer warriors taking up the cause for them. So how do you let people know that you're praying for them to where it's something that they can hold on to, make it tangible? Well, of course, pray with them on the phone. Pray with them in person if you can. If praying is intimidating, I recommend praying scripture. And that's, 
as simple as like picking out a psalm, your favorite psalm or favorite verse, and just praying God's word back to him. There, it's low stress. You don't have to think about putting two words together. And it's God's word, so even better. If you're, you have a hard time meeting with them, I suggest maybe writing out a card saying, hey, I prayed this verse over you today, and anything else you wanted to add. And those actually really mean a lot. I have cards like that that I still keep because they've meant so much to me. Something else that might be very helpful, and um, a friend of mine did this for me when my son's illness was at its peak, and I, for months on end it was just constant care 24-7, mentally, spiritually, exhausting, mentally. And, but I, I wanted to pray, but I couldn't put two words together. <laughs> I wanted to pray for my kid, but couldn't do it. And I, and I knew that praying verses would be well, but I couldn't even think what the verses were because that's how intense it was. So my friend who was wanting to help me, but the situation was such an odd situation, it was hard for anyone to help us. She says, well, what can I do? And I was like, if you could just put some scripture verses together for me so that I don't have to think about it and I could just look and pray them, that would be great. So she did. She took something like this and she filled it with scripture verses. And that was a huge blessing for me. So if you have a friend like that and you're not sure, ask them, hey, you know what? I have this idea. I can put verses in this index spiral thing for you. Would it be helpful? And they probably will say yes. <laughs> so that's a crisis. And again, there's lots of gray area. The next thing I want to talk to you about is speaking into a friend's life. Usually, when there's a crisis, it's going to take about four to six weeks for things to just kind of calm down. And the analogy I use is like a fire. So in the crisis, it's a fire. Fire burns hot. You can't touch the fire. But after everything's left, there's ash. And you're going to start sifting through the ash with your friend. Now, the great thing about this analogy is that ash is used for growth in gardens. It gives nutrients to new gardens, new plants, and makes them even more beautiful. And so that's what you're going to be doing with your friend. The lessons that we learn are, through these crises are things that encourage us to grow in our walk with the Lord. They are the things that change our perspective on how we view this life and how we view who God is. We're going to look at Mark 5, 21 and 42, but because of the sake of time, I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase it, but feel free to look it up. So what was happening was... Um, Jairus and his wife had a daughter who was very ill, and so they found Jesus, and they said, hey, come, you need to, you need to heal her. She's really sick. And when you look at this, between 21 and 42, 21 is when they tell, tell Jesus, and like around verse 42 or slightly beforehand um, is when he shows up. So there's a lot of action going on in between. This is where he heals the woman with the issue of blood. So Jer Jairus and his wife are probably thinking, why are you taking so long to get from point A to point B, right? So everyone thought Jesus did finally show up, and the daughter had already died. And so everyone was wondering, well, why was he taking so long? But the thing about it was that Jesus was right on time. The parents knew he could heal people, but they didn't know he could raise somebody from the dead. They didn't know that part of his character. He showed him that his timing served his purpose, and that's how it is with a crisis. Rushing in to give advice or words or encouragement will not be heard. We often want to fix a crisis right away, and we want to say things to, to ease their pain and their burden. 
but we must wait for when they are ready to hear you and the, and the greatest time when God can be revealed. So after that crisis is passed, is a, is a good opportunity for them to be open to hearing and receiving words of encouragement and for God to show them a richer way to view their life, just like Jairus and his wife saw richer ways to see the power of who the God is. What they thought was taking time was actually God revealing himself. So when, when you're in a crisis, you may, that's why you don't immediately enter in. Again, there's a gray area in that. I'm going to give you an example. So when I was really pregnant with the twins, I had a very feisty, <laughs> very feisty toddler who wasn't even two years old yet. Like, he broke all the parenting books. Like, like seriously, he did. And I was just done because I was so heavily pregnant with these twins that, like, my hips would, like, pop out of the socket. And it was hard to walk and everything. It was very painful. So I was done one day chasing this kid because I just couldn't anymore. And I was on the ground, and I was just weeping and crying. My husband was at work, and I just, I was, like, I just felt, like, alone and couldn't do it. So I called my life on life mentor who we, we, we measured it one day. She's only 2.1 miles down the road. So I called her up. She came down and she scooped him up, this oldest, took him with her and she, she was with him the whole entire day. Now, would it have been appropriate for her to like stand over me and be like, get it together, Shannon. <laughs> you can do this. Well, no, because I was, I was just saddened, and I was grieved, and I was overwhelmed. So she took them. That gave me the opportunity to, to nap and to get myself together. And then later on, when I had gotten myself together, we sat down and like, figured out, well, what are some ways, some practical ways that we can do so that I can get through the next month or two pregnant with these twins and handle this toddler who likes to break the rules? So that's what's going to be like speaking life into your friends. There's going to be a time after all the dust has settled to speak into your friend's life. So what are some practical ways to do this? Well, it, again, it depends on season circumstances, but of course, lunch, there's coffee, come over and invite for play dates. And these things will also depend on the season of your life. Face-to-face -face is going to be optimal because you'll be able to read reactions Text and email are not as optimal for, for obvious reasons. You can't judge the nuances that comes in just written word. Phone is also best. I was thinking about this, and there, there was one time, there's actually been times with this pandemic that, that actually I think one app is very valuable, um, Marco Polo. And, and, the, I know, and the reason why is because when I was, when, at the, the worst of the pandemic, when a lot of you moms, I know, like we're doing remote learning and stuff, and we all were just learning everything new. The kids are breaking down. Moms are breaking down. My friends, my um, iron sharpening iron friends, or what I call in the trenches friends, we would get like five minutes alone, and we would just message the other friend. Now, she didn't have to respond right away. That's what's great about Marco Polo. And then she would respond when she had her five minutes. And through that, we were able to encourage each other and spur each other on through our pandemic crisis. So again, you know, there's a lot of gray areas. Phone calls are best, face-to-face -face is best, but obviously during pandemic, that was not ideal. So depending on the relationship and the crisis, there can be boundaries that may be helpful as you guide your friend to the other side of the crisis. You may need to set ground rules to protect your friendship. Ask permission to speak to them about the issue. If your friend hasn't asked for advice, if they have not mentioned it, but you feel the Holy Spirit pressing you to talk to them, then ask if you can share. 
And these are like gray areas. I have friends that just come over and just, they just want to spend time with me. And that's how they get through their crisis. They might be very grounded and they, they don't really need much guidance. They may, they may ask questions. But then there might be friends that you really feel like may benefit from experiences you have. Ask permission to share. Pray for them often and with them. Again, praying scripture is helpful. You may have friends that may not be as mature, and during the conversation they may have a hard time, and they may talk about illegal things, or they may talk about um, other people or in not-so-nice ways. So a good way to change this is, is redirect. So when someone's talking about something that is not something that you want to dive into, somebody else or something, you may say, well, you know, that's really, I, know, I know that relationship's really hard or this is really difficult on you, but maybe we should look at, it as, look at them as Christ would. Maybe they're going through something that we're not aware of to help change their perspective of what's happening onto them. You don't have to return phone calls right away. Unless your friend, of course, isn't like an emergent issue. Like if their child is being put in the ambulance, yes, take their phone call. But if your friend is texting you or calling you because they just need a vent or there's something really difficult going on that is not emergent, just text them if you're in the middle of dinner or helping a friend. Just say, hey, I want to talk to you. Let me call you at this time. Okay? Or, or anything like that. Act, offer them practical items to complete and then lovely, lovingly correct them. Correct their theology. I'm going to paraphrase again. Luke 5, 1 through 11. So the disciples were struggling, and they needed to get fish. So Jesus said, hey, I need you to cast your nets. And the disciples were like, really? But he says, yeah, I need you to do this. And so they did, and, and they obeyed him, and, the, and, and they, they caught lots of fish. But at the end, he also told them, he says, look, guys, you're not only going to be fisher of fish, you're going to be fisher of men. So in that one, and this is several times in the Bible, Jesus actually does do this. He does give them like something to do, and then he corrects their theology. Offering your friend something to do is a practical solution to the problem, a step in the right direction. It's a, a way to like unravel their thoughts and help them focus in. So for instance, if your friend is having trouble with a child, you can have them like, how about, you know, and you can help them. How about we go home and organize your books, their books, or organize their clothing? And that helps them to focus in and be able to think. Because oftentimes they're just so awash with the problem. Then you can start talking to them about their theology. And that's the number one thing that's going to help their stress levels is by correcting their theology. And I don't want you to be afraid of the word theology. That's just merely another fancy way of saying God's character, who he is, and how he operates. One of the biggest things, because I want to give you an example, is people struggle with God loves your kid more than you do. That's the biggest thing that, that I've dealt with when, with counseling, with friends, with myself, is moms think that they can fix everything. And they think they can fix all their problems and do everything for their kids. I'll give you an example. When my, kid, my, my child was at his sickest level, it was so draining, physically, mentally, emotionally. And several times through that process, I would repeat to myself, God loves my son more than I do, so we are doing this. And then perhaps, and I would paint a picture for myself of what that love, a love that was greater than my own, 
was doing through my child through his sickness. And that theology is truly what I believe that kept me sane through those months. Sometimes I would falter, and I needed to hear it from someone else, because when you're so consumed by a crisis, you, you, and you're trying to tell yourself the truth, you start wondering, wait, is this really true? So I would call my life-to-life mentor, and I would, I, would text, I would call or text her, and I would say, God loves my kid more than I do, right? And I may never know why this is happening, but I have to trust that he loves my kid more than me, right? And she would repeat it back to me, say the same thing, maybe with a different wording, a different spin or whatever. I need to be reassured, yes, your thoughts are not wrong. You are doing this and press on. Can you imagine the level of stress if I didn't believe that? If I believed somehow I could fix my, my child's problems because my love was more supreme than the Lord's? If I thought somehow my level of love could override what was happening to my, to my child? So sometimes you may be correcting your friend's theology, and sometimes you may be cheerleading them on. I don't want you to be concerned if you don't have encouragement to give. Trust in the Holy Spirit that he has brought people into your life. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflows to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your own comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in your patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings for you, we will also share in that comfort. Oftentimes, the Lord brings people into your life. People are struggling similar to what things that you've already been through. And the Lord's very gracious in that. When my child was doing well after his illness, I developed panic attacks. Now, I've never had them before then. I read about them in a textbook. I had textbook knowledge. I counseled people. I had friends that had them, but I never experienced one. That's a whole new level of knowledge. <laughs> whole new level. So after I had gone to my doctor and like confirmed with him that I was not dying, because y'all, it feels like you're dying. It really does. Then I knew, and then I became very academic about it, and I, and I always try to find something good in what is happening to me. And I was like, you know what, Lord, these, these kind of stink. But now I understand, and I'm praying that it will make me a better counselor and a better friend, because not only do I have book knowledge of it, but now I've actually experienced it, and so now I know what it feels like for the other person who's going through with it. And that's how it is when you're helping a friend. You may not know exactly what your friend is experiencing. You may have knowledge of it, and that's very helpful. Or you may have experienced it, which makes it even more helpful. Or you may have a friend that has experienced that, that, that you, can, you can guide them to, and that can help her also. So within all these great areas, there's all these friendships and all these moving parts, and sometimes that involves mentorship. So I'm going to talk to you about two different mentorships. One is life-on-life -life mentorship, which is my personal favorite because I've been so blessed by one for 18 years now. We call it doing life together. An example of that from the Bible is Timothy and Paul. They say that Paul probably knew Timothy since he was a teenager, and he spent years guiding Timothy 
giving him spiritual encouragement, advice. He even gave him advice on his health when he was concerned about Timothy's health. He told him to drink a little wine for his stomach. That doesn't take a lot of work, but maybe just some forethought. For instance, our lives were entwined with our life-on-life mentors. We knew them from different various areas. Todd was my counseling supervisor from one of my classes. My husband was the cadet commander for CAP, which Corey, their son, was in. And eventually I taught Corey, um, who's Aaron's wife, (laughs) chemistry. So our lives were entwined, and they started asking us out for dinner. And then within an eight-month period, this is where I started learning about sitting shiva, we had three miscarriages back-to-back. We hadn't had children yet. So not only the pain of miscarriages, but the pain of like not knowing if we'd ever have children on our own, um, and all that entailed. There's so much involved when you have like, miscarriages like that back-to-back. They started showing at my door every Tuesday night when my husband was gone on, at meetings every Tuesday night. They would come with ice cream. They would just show up. It became something I was, exp- I was like, I'm get used to it. This is great, ice cream. And they would come in. We didn't talk about babies. We, they just sat shiva with me, with ice cream. I mean, it's awesome. And so we would just talk, and they kept me company. And so that relationship grew to where I trusted them, and I would come to them for marriage advice, later parenting advice, counseling advice, whatever I needed. They're just, and, and like as the years have gone, you know, they've loved on my children. They were at my ch- children's births. Um, they've painted my house, mowed my lawn, <laughs> all these various different things, and we just, we did life together. Louise would call me. She goes, hey, I'm going to Raleigh to go pick up this thing. You want to come? And so we just did life together, and through that, I was mentored and I was taught many things, not only spiritual, but she taught me how to decorate a room. So <laughs> these are useful things. Then there's a very, that was a very organic thing. It was very natural. And then there's what I call, I'm not even sure this is the correct wording, so forgive me if it's not, but I call them like block mentorships. And they're usually more planned. And so they're usually where you would, you know, meet once a week. There might be a book. There might be um, a schedule that you go through, some kind of planning that you go through for it. Um, A good example of this is Elisha and Elijah. They, They had a plan. They had a reasoning for their mentorship. They both were completely committed to the end goal, and that was for Elisha to take over Elijah's job. An example I can think of my own life from that is when I was in Cambridge Crusade for Christ back in college. They now call it crew, so I'll interchange it. And so the way they had leadership designed back then, they had the male um, director who was over the whole crusade, and they had the female director, which was me, who worked together. We were a catalyst group, which means we didn't have paid, paid leaders paid over us. So we were kind of on our own. Our male director got to a point where he had to leave the group, and it caused division with our, crew, our group. And so I was on my own, a women's director leading this whole crew, and I had to find a, man, a male director to take over the group. So the crew down in Florida set me up with a mentor that would call me once a week, and would help me walk through the process of trying to keep the crew group going and find a male director. And I was also engaged to Mary, so she actually poured her life into me on that way. And there was eventually an end point. So those are two examples of mentorship. I'm sure there's probably a lot of gray area in there, but those are just great ways to like pour your life into someone else or even receive that from someone else. 
The last thing I want to talk to you about is the leaning trees. Are they up there? Can you guys see the pictures up there? Okay. I just realized I can't see them. <laughs> so a great example is they're called leaning. Well, I think they're actually called shooting trees, but I accidentally call them leaning trees. But what shooting trees are are the people who have really difficult lives, not by any fault of their own. They could be chronic illness, children that are dying, children with chronic illness, difficult divorces, difficult marriages, or they can be just people that have these crises one after the other, one after the other, and life is just shooting at them. If you notice on the picture, on one of them, there's a crack. This tree is like cracked in my friend's yard. So it like goes, starts at the bottom, and then it goes about midway, I think. And the crazy thing about this tree is it's still thriving, and it's still growing. Well, if you look at the very top of the tree, there's about, I think there's like three, four, five trees surrounding it. And the tree, the reason why it's able to thrive is because it's slightly leaning on the other trees. So it's supporting it, even though this poor tree is cracked and it's scarred and it's almost broken. But the trees are surrounding it. Those trees are like us, a community of faith. We're the friendships that come in and support these shooting trees and help them the cause to continue to grow the great thing about being a friend with a shooting tree, y'all, though, is that because they're leaning on you slightly, it changes your perspective. I highly recommend being friends with shooting trees. Because these shooting trees, because they have to continuously look at Christ, and they have to continuously grow in who he is. Their perspectives of who he is is amazing. And by knowing them, you'll be able to grow even more and have a different perspective on the different trials they, they experience. So I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be afraid and concerned about saying the right things or that you're not able to handle it. I highly recommend being a friend to shooting trees. And that's a compliment if you're a shooting tree, y'all, okay? <laughs> so there's going to be times when you may feel like that your friend needs counsel. And again, this is a great gray area, and it can change depending on the circumstance. So during our panel time, we're going to be discussing, like, there might be signs or clues that you may think that your friend may need further counsel. It could be that you're saying stuff to your friend, and you're encouraging them, and you're giving them the truth, but sometimes an authority figure, someone outside the group could be saying the same thing, and that person hears it. So that's just one of the, the clues. We'll be talking about it more during our talk. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer, if that's okay. Okay. Father God, thank you for this time, Lord, and I just pray over all of us and all of our friendships, Lord, and I just pray that you give us wisdom and direction when a friend that we so dearly loved comes into crisis or needs help, Lord. I pray for words of wisdom on, our, on what we say, what we do, how we help, how we continue to love our shooting trees and how we can encourage them, how we can change our perspective on the hard things of life and learn from our shooting trees, Lord. I pray for great questions during this panel. I pray, pray, Lord, that you speak through the panel people that are answering questions, Lord, so that we can answer them wisely. And I lift these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Women Podcast. We hope you were both encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you join us at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville on a Sunday or at any of our special events. You can learn more about our ministry online at faithnc.org slash women. See you next month.